Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful week so far. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend and is ready for the week ahead. A lot of stuff that I want to get into on the podcast today. I'm going to be getting into some major, major Deadpool 3 news that is going on right now that kind of gives an indication of where this film might be going also going to give you a preview of what is ahead this week and a major blockbuster one of the most anticipated films of the year drops this week i'm also going to be getting into some big trailers specifically one trailer that i think is going to be a huge awards contender come this year and much more but the first thing that i do want to talk about on the podcast today like i like to do in the beginning of the week whether it's on a monday or a tuesday is of course recap the weekend box office and this weekend saw a few counter programs titles that came through after the big release of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny last weekend during July 4th weekend. And this weekend ended up with a big surprise as the number one film as Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is no longer the reigning box office champion. That moves over to the horror genre, specifically going to Insidious, The Red Door, the film that is produced by both Sony, Screen Gems, and Blumhouse takes the reins once again as the number one film this weekend. And alongside of it, breaking some records both within the franchise and also within the genre of horror overall. So within its own franchise, Insidious the Red Door is the second best start for an Insidious film within the franchise after the second chapter, which came out years ago in the early 2010s, did around $40.2 million at the box office. It's also the best start in the last two years for a PG-13 horror film, doing better than some of the other overall horror films just in general of 2023. When you take into account earlier this year at the very first weekend of 2023, the film Megan, which was done by both Blumhouse and James Wan, Insidious the Red Door did 7% better than that film did, which Megan had an opening weekend of $30.4 million, and it did 33% better than Warner Brothers' film Evil Dead Rise, which came out in April, which that film opened up to $24.5 million in its opening weekend, and it did way better than the last installment in the Insidious franchise, which was The Last Key. As for Blumhouse overall, which when you talk about the horror franchise of Blumhouse, House, the, the the production company that just is able to take small budgets and make big rewards. That's the motto that I have for this company. They do better than really anybody in Hollywood right now. This is their 16th title to open up number one at the box office. And this film just had a budget of $16 million. And with $33 million, which is the actual amount this film made opening weekend, it's already recouped if all if not most of its budget in just one weekend and so whatever it makes over the next couple of weekends is just icing on the cake for this film and that's the reap and the benefit of rewards for a production company like Blumhouse what they've been able to do almost year in and year out and it's not even so much so that the film is good or bad it really doesn't matter a lot of horror films as we've seen the track record given post-pandemic do really really well and it doesn't matter whether they're good or bad usually the cinema scores 
are lucky if they get above a B or a B minus, but still they're pretty much critic proof at this point. And I think it just showcases that audiences are very excited just to see a horror film. They like what they get with it, whether it's the jump scares, the gore, whether it's the environment that they're around, the people that they go see it with. And the thing that horror always proves time and time again is that it's A, simple budgets. It's B, easy marketing. You really, I think, can get really inventive with the marketing and really step yourself out there and do some really cool things with it. Of course, when you look at last year with Smile, the way that Paramount was able to kind of make kind of a guerrilla marketing campaign with putting people out at like sporting events, specifically baseball games, and having them kind of sit right at home plate and just smile directly at the camera at the field. And it got picked up on social media or earlier this year, going back to Megan, where he had those Megan dolls doing that dance that was in the trailer it became this viral sensation I think that really helped boost the box office for that movie and when you see the social media reactions and the social media attention and traffic this film got it was there were all these kind of red doors that the the studio and the, and the PR campaign were really kind of putting throughout multiple locations and I think that really showcases and also predicates and aims itself towards the market that is on social media, which is the younger demographic, which is the demographic that is going to theaters time in and time out, post-COVID really. It's, it's the 25 and over teenage range demographic that are still going to theaters. And if you get young adults, 25 to 35, 36 going to the movies right now, horror is what they're really trying to go for at this particular moment in time. And especially if a film is rated PG-13, like Insidious Thread Door is, then you're able to get the 13 and over crowd to go to this movie and experience it for the first time as well. So you're getting people that are in high school, college, that aren't 21 and over or 18 and over to get into an R-rated film or 17, I should think, actually. So it's easier to market this film and get people excited about it to go to the theaters and they don't have to try to sneak into a movie theater or try to get their parents to go with them to the movie theaters to see this film it's a bit because of the of the uh, of the of the band of this film because it is rated the way it's rated it's an easier target to make money for this film and go after the audience that you want to go after so i think for insidious the red door this is a great start to their their run at this particular moment in time. The big question moving forward for this film is what are the legs going to be like? And since it is at $33.5 million, what is this film going to be able to do when you have films like Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, Barbie? Now, there are completely different genre types of movies out there that are, aren't even near the thriller, suspense, horror angle that Insidious is going for. And Insidious within that genre is really the only game in town for a good long while for the rest really of the summer movie season so is this film going to be able to do enough money over the next couple weeks and make the money that it needs to make again it's already made back its budget but what kind of icing on the cake is this film going to be able to get so it's going to be very interesting to see how this film progresses over the next couple weeks but this is again a phenomenal start to this movie congratulations to the cast the crew this is of course star Patrick Wilson's directorial debut he was in a bunch of these Insidious films he's been in the Conjuring universe with James Wan of course to be known from the superhero comic book realm he's plays King Orm in the Aquaman film 
film. So for him, this is a big deal and I think a big boost for his directing career wherever he wants to take a next post Insidious The Red Door. So overall, this is a great start for Insidious moving forward in the box office. Then to go at number two, which again was the reigning defending champion a week ago, and that is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which made $27.4 million at the box office and now has $122 million domestically, $127 million internationally for a worldwide total of $249 million. Now, for a lot of films, I would say, you know what? $122 million domestically, $249 million worldwide. If you had a budget that was maybe $140, $160, $185, I'd say you're steering in the right direction. But for a film that costs almost $290, $300 million pre-marketing, pre-advertising, this is not what you want to see if you're Lucasfilm and Disney right now for this movie. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be moving in the direction that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did way back when in 2008. As when you look at the trajectory of, of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny, while both films only held the top spot at number one, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull still had the biggest opening weekend for the franchise in history. It still grossed over $100 million plus on its opening weekend, and that's not the case for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. That film owned up to $60 plus million its opening weekend, and again, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had half the budget of Dial and Destiny pre-marketing. So not really the same discrepancy that we can go for it. And even though this is not to disparage insidious whatsoever but the fact that sex in the city was able to knock it off at especially the time in 08 that show was just coming off of its run it was one of the biggest tv shows at that time period still kind of is in this day and age right now even in 2023 but it was a big it was a big cast big film it made sense that that film would probably knock it off and it did it opening up to 57 million dollars to kingdom of the crystal skulls 47 million dollars and again, with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that film only dipped 56.1% at the box office. And while Indiana Jones did slightly better, only 2% better in its opening to sophomore weekend drop, again, the numbers just are not going to help this movie. And I just think it brings up the big question of, was this a little too little too late for a fifth Indiana Jones film? Was it not wise to have a film... 15 years later between 08 to 2023 and I just don't think people were in the mood now the people that did go and see it I think this was a big 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 opening and a big opportunity for them to go see this overall and to go see this film and, and what it wanted to be so we'll see where this where this film can kind of co- can go from here and see what they're able to do with it but I just think that for this movie it's just a, too little too late for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Coming in at number three this weekend at the box office though was another film that kind of surprised a lot of people and that of course was The Sound of Freedom which grows at $19 million at the box office it grows $41 million domestically and when we look at its worldwide total has a release in its international markets at all is still at around $41.6 million and when we look at the week overall this past week in the July 4th quarter this was the biggest movie to come out this is what we call a breakout film a film that nobody knew really anything about it's a film that is very much more in the right wing 
swing leaning sector. It has a very interesting kind of like pay it forward mechanism that is in place for this movie. But these kind of faith based films still do major, major bucks at the box office. It has its niche audience and that audience goes out and supports these films time and time again. And so I think it's no surprise that when you see a film like this, it does what it does, but it still, I think, surprises people nonetheless that you have the success that these films do. And the fact that Sound of Freedom beat Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in the July 4th day, the actual date itself, was pretty astounding. And again, it just shows that these audiences, there's there's audiences for all types of movies. It's just about how you go out in supporting these films and also the fact of how much this film cost compared to what it's making opening weekend. And clearly it's doing enough at the box office to recuperate its money and do a little bit more of it as well. Then coming in at number four this weekend was the Pixar film Elemental, which did at the box office. Elemental did... $10 million at the box office and now has made $109 million domestically, $144 million internationally for a worldwide total of $253 million at the box office. Now for Elemental, I think the big thing for this weekend specifically is the fact that the film that was going up against Elemental in the June 16th corridor was The Flash, the DC film, which is considered more of a box office bomb at this particular moment in time. The fact that that film did not stabilize and Elemental Elemental, for the most part, was able to kind of stabilize its feet a little bit, just showcases that the film was able to do pretty well and find good enough legs that it has passed the flash on the domestic charts this past weekend overall. So it just goes to show that for Elemental, even though it's not going to be able, I think, to recuperate the losses and put this film in the black, I think it's still very much going to stay in the red. The fact that it started off horrifically, but was able to stabilize itself both domestically and in the international markets, I think bodes well that that if you keep this going, I think you'll get people's mindsets to see these films again in theaters. And the fact that for... I think for Elemental, the fact that I think people have already seen Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse a boatload of times, maybe they wanted to see something new in terms of the animated wing in theaters, and this was the next big thing that was in theaters. You go see a Pixar film, Disney, you know what you're going to get with it, and I'm somebody, again, who loves this movie. It's probably my favorite film of the year right now, which is kind of crazy. I didn't think it would be, but here we are nonetheless, and I'm very happy that it's able to find some audiences over the last couple weeks and still do very, very, very well for itself. Then to move on to the rest of the box office, moving on to the number five spot coming in is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, grossing an additional $8 million at the box office, and now has made $357 million domestically, $284 million internationally for a worldwide total of $642 million at the box office. And again, for this movie, this is absolutely incredible and a major congratulations has to be made to it. It is it is now the highest grossing film of the summer movie season domestically, surpassing Guardians of the Galaxy just by a little sliver, but enough to make it the highest grossing summer movie season film of the U.S. market, grossing $350 57.6 million dollars over 357 and a half million dollars that volume three has made so a terrific a terrific achievement for this film and i'm excited to see where it goes from here and clearly there's support
supportive behind this film that I think number three is going to be even bigger whenever that film comes out, whether it be 2024 or beyond. Then coming in at number five or number six, rather, was the other big newcomer this past weekend, Joyride, which made $5.8 million at the box office. It's now made $5.8 million domestically, and it has not come out in any international market, so it stays at $5.8 million worldwide. This, to me, was a little bit unfortunate just because I was a big fan of this film, and it was good to see a raunchy, R-rated comedy of this of this, this sphere on the big screen again during the summer movie season, and even though it performed 61% below what No Hard Feelings did, which made $15, $16 million or so opening weekend, and that had a big star in it with Jennifer Lawrence, it's just a shame that this film isn't able to do a little more, and I just think it showcases the tough time that these comedies are in right now, where even a film like No Hard Feelings did just so-so, and it's not a big hit, which I think if something like No Hard Feelings or even Joyride were to come out in 2014, 2015, 2013, when he had the films like Ted and the Hangover movies and Bridesmaids, it's just, you don't have those kinds of films anymore. I think those movies would have done a hundred plus million dollars at the box office, especially something like No Hard Feelings at that height of the Jennifer Lawrence pop, of the pop of her. I think that film would have done really, really well at the box office. And I just want the days again of a hundred plus million dollar comedy at the box office and we just don't get that anymore and I think it's a shame because those films were the ones that really were the breakout films of the summer and showcased some of the breakout stars of the summer movie season you look at the hangover films if those films didn't pop would we have Bradley Cooper today or would we not would we have the Ted films the way that we have them right now would we have Bridesmaids it's to me is a big example where that really brought out superstars and people like Melissa McCarthy Paul Feig who was the director Chris and Wig was made kind of a bigger star than she was post SNL, and even my Rudolph as well. It it, it just would the with that comedy do well now and make stars of these people now than it did back in the day back in 2010 back in 2012 it's a big question and unfortunately joyride wasn't able to do it but hopefully this doesn't bode not that it's going to signal the end of comedies or some raunchy comedies but can we get a new gear to get people back and seeing these films in theaters i think that's a big question moving forward with these movies then to go on to the remaining hits at the box office coming in at number seven speaking of is no hard feelings coming in at 5.4 million dollars at the box office it is now made 40 million dollars at the box office it has also done 27 million dollars internationally and worldwide total it is at 67 million dollars at the box office then rounding out the top 10 coming in at number eight was transformers rise of the beast which did 5.1 million dollars at the box office it is now made 146.8 million dollars domestic domestically $261 million internationally for a worldwide total of $407 million at the box office. Then coming in at number nine this weekend was The Little Mermaid making another $3.6 million at the box office. It has now done $289 million domestically, $253 million internationally for a worldwide total of $542 million at the box office. Then coming in at number 10 was Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, which made an additional $2.8 million at the box office. 
office that has now done $11.6 million domestically, $15 million internationally for a worldwide total of $26 million worldwide at the box office. And so that does it for the top 10 at the box office. Again, going from number 10 to number one. Number 10 was Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Number nine was The Little Mermaid. Number eight was Transformers Rise of the Beast. Number seven was No Hard Feelings. Number six was Joyride. Number five was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number four was Elemental. Number three was Sound of Freedom. Number two is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Number one coming in this weekend was Insidious, The Red Door. What do you guys think about the box office this weekend? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now to move on to some Hollywood news that I want to get into right now. We're going to start off with going into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and specifically talking about Deadpool 3. And over the last couple days, there's been some major, major news in regards to the casting and announcements for Deadpool 3, which is, I think, going to be one of the next big MCU films to come out over the next year or so when it debuts on May 3rd. But the first big announcement that came for this film was over the weekend when it was announced and also reported by The Hollywood Reporter that the one and only Jennifer Garner is going to be returning as Elektra in the new film. And it's been reported that this is set to just be kind of a cameo appearance. And if you know the history of Marvel adaptations to live action, specifically in the 2000s, Jennifer Garner was a big part of that, not just in an Elektra spinoff film, but also a year or two years prior to that in 2003, when she was a supporting character in the Ben Affleck Daredevil film that came out during that time period. And while Daredevil did successfully okay and it was able to do well enough to spin off a Electra film. That film was a huge bomb overall but you, when you think of Jennifer Garner you do think of her in Electra, good or bad and it seems that Kevin Feige and the people over at Marvel still think about her and so it seems like they want her to be in a cameo for this film and that this report kind of lends credence to the fact that it seems like there's been a lot of rumors and speculation that it's not just going to be Hugh Jackman returning as Wolverine, not just Jennifer Garner returning as Elektra, but there is going to be a big element of this new Deadpool film is going to be exploring the multiverse, and specifically, it's going to kind of do what Spider-Man No Way Home did for the Spider-Man franchise, and it seems like Deadpool 3 is going to be maybe a potential celebration of the 20th century era of Marvel characters. That includes all the X-Men characters, or potentially some of the X-Men characters, like Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier, Ian McKellen as Magneto, maybe James Morrison as Cyclops, Halle Berry as Storm, Anna Paquin as as Rogue, and then you have the Fantastic Four characters like Jessica Alba as Invisible Woman, Chris Evans, who of course is more well-known now for playing Captain America, but before that he did play another Marvel character in the Human Torch back in the early 2000s, and then of course Ben Affleck as Daredevil, so potentially all these characters could potentially come into play and cameo here, cameo there, and I think a big question with something like this and something that kind of runs through my mind and and after experiencing it with Spider-Man No Way Home, even though these trades and reporters have to do their jobs, this is part of what they do, is it better for people to know when these castings are going to happen or is it better just to kind of leave it alone and let it just happen? And especially when it comes to, if it's not a big role, like let's say if Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Deadline got the news that Hugh Jackman was coming back to play Wolverine, that's big news. You can't let that go. But if it's something like a cameo, like Jennifer Garner coming back, or maybe Ben Affleck, who's rumored to come back, or someone else that's just going to be in it for a little bit, is it better just for people to just 
avoid it until it comes out and not read the headlines or read the news when it comes out. Again, it's an unavoidable really, but are you able to do that? And I think that's a big question when it comes into this because that would have been really cool to see in theaters without knowing about it because now people are going to hear about it. They're going to know about it. They're going to speculate. If it's just a little maybe a scene or two that she's in and she's with Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman maybe and a few others and that's it, then it's going to be cool to see. But all the hoopla and hype, is that going to be worth it? And I think that's going to be a big question moving forward with this movie, especially coming off of what happened with No Way Home where it was left and right. Is Andrew Garfield going to come in? It is Tobey Maguire going to be back in it? Is Kirsten Dunst and Emma Stone, are they all going to somehow come back into these films? And I think... Again, it worked. It made over almost made $2 billion at the box office. The hype was still there. But is it is it too much? And is it taking away from the anticipation and the surprises that could be in store for this film when you actually go out and see it? But one surprise that I was actually happy that they revealed and it was exciting to see was today, actually, when it was kind of announced and shown on the Instagram reels of both Ryan Reynolds' account and Hugh Jackman's, the official first look unveiling of the yellow costume that will be worn by Wolverine. And the reason that this is a big deal is because finally, after years, I think fans really wanted to see Hugh Jackman take on that iconic costume from the, the comic books, he's finally donning a version of it and it's not just him in a tank top or him in kind of a black suit and it's got this kind of silver lines going running around it it's an actual yellow suit and i gotta say i didn't know if they would be, ever be able to pull off and i was always saying to myself oh they don't need to do that hugh jackman is able to just be wolverine as he is he doesn't need the costume he still looks badass no matter what and i gotta say leave it to the people over at marvel studios to make the costume look absolutely badass and it looks so so cool it looks awesome compared to when you see it up against Deadpool and, and the black, and not the black, but the, the red and the yellow, the obviously ketchup and mustard kind of comparison you can make, but it looks really cool. I like both costumes. So I, I think for me, this is really exciting. And even the Jennifer Garner stuff, even though I would maybe not want to hear about that, it's still exciting to hear about it. And kind of going to the No Way Home point again, my big question moving forward is there was already a lot of hype around Deadpool 3. And when you get Hugh Jackman in it, it's you're looking at probably a billion dollar hit already but could this film make a billion and a half a two billion dollars at the box office if everything goes right for the film with the good with good positive word of mouth the anticipation already for this film that's built into it because of all the circumstances surrounding it in terms of the people that are involved is it going to could it pull in uh, over a billion two billion dollars at the box office i think that those are some good questions to have and I think moving forward for this movie, it's going to be very interesting to see if it's able to pull it off. But so far, I love what I'm seeing from the film. I'm really excited to see where it goes. And maybe we see some more set set photos from the film. Maybe we get more photos just from Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman overall. But I'm excited to get the first trailer whenever we get it, whether it's in September, November, December, early in 2024. But I'm still very excited to see this film. I think it's going to be really exciting overall when it finally comes out on May 3rd, 2024. What do you guys think about all the Deadpool 3 news, whether whether it's Jennifer Garner returning as Elektra or seeing the first look at Hugh Jackman's new costume as Wolverine? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the next thing that I want to talk about on the podcast is discussing 
the first reactions for finally the first reactions to the highly anticipated film coming out alongside Oppenheimer on July 21st and that of course is Barbie written directed by both Noah Baumbach and directed and co-written by Greta Gerwig and it stars again an A-list cast that includes Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, American Ferreira, Simu Liu, Issa Rae, Emma McKay, Will Ferrell. I could go on and on and on listing the people that are involved in this film and it just wouldn't do it any justice. So there's a lot of hype and anticipation for this film. What is this movie really about? You've seen the trailers. It's got that that poppy, glossy kind of feel that you would expect in a Barbie film, but it seems like it's much more layered. And, and to me, when you get Academy Award-level talent like Greta Gerwig both behind the camera and writing the script and Noah Baumbach coming involved as well, who's an Academy Award winner in his own right as well, coming in to write the script alongside his partner Greta Gerwig, you, you're going to expect more than just what you see on the surface level. And it seems like that's how audiences are responding as we finally got the U.S. world premiere of the film last night in Los Angeles and or rather on um, on Sunday night, rather not not Monday night. It was Sunday night that it actually happened. But still, it was a lot of anticipation. What are these reviews and reactions going to look like? And it seems for the most part it is exactly what you expect as a lot of it is positive word of mouth for this film. So the first one I want to go to is, of course, over at Collider, the one and only Perry Nemiroff who was able to see the film. This is what she had to say about it. I have seen Barbie and the craftsmanship is incredible. In particular, the costume and production designs include next-level work that heavily contribute to create the feeling that these truly are Barbies. Their dream houses and their worlds come to life. As for the story, that's where I'm a bit more mixed, and I think the film serves Margot Robbie's Barbie and her journey especially well, but there are other characters experiencing important arcs that needed more screen time to really dig into and explore to the fullest. Overall, Barbie isn't the homer I was hoping for, or that I think it needs to be given the topics it's tackling, but it's still a well-made, bold film with a very strong voice and vision, one that often made me think, how does this film exist? And that right there is almost always a quality in a film that will win me over. So that was from Perry Nemiroff over at Collider. Then to move over to Jamie Jarek over from comicbook.com. This is what she had to say about the film. I can't officially quit Twitter before telling you that The Barbie is currently my favorite film of the year. Greta Gerwig, some have exceeded my expectations. She tackles the positives and negatives of Barbie so beautifully. Give Ryan Gosling an Oxa nomination. I'm dead serious. Then moving on over to some other reviews coming in from Jack. Barbie is a cinematic triumph. Gerwig is at the top of her game here. She's crafted a film that not only is gorgeous to look at, poignant and clever and hilarious. Margot Robbie delivers an endearing and memorable performance, though it's Gosling who still stole every scene he was in. So those are just some of the, of the reactions that are coming in for this film, and it's kind of exactly what I was expecting the reactions to be, which is when you see the trailers, you just you look at the production design and you look at the world that was created by all the craftsmen and people on the crew involved, and it looks gorgeous. And just the the thing about this film that I think is shouldn't be taken for granted is the acting and when you have a film like this you really need the actors to really buy in because if the actors aren't buying into what's happening i think for a film like this you're, you're not going to sell the audience but margot robbie seems like she's coming to play ryan gosling especially after the, the the rave reviews he's getting he came to play it seems like simu leo Issa Rae, everyone that's involved in barbie world 
you got to believe that you're in there. You like you just see that they're fully invested into what they're doing. And if you, if you have that, then you're really going to get people excited because if, if those people are invested and they're doing their job, then you're going to get audience members to really be involved in it as well that aren't with a big, maybe as big of a fan into Barbie. Or maybe they are. They don't think that this can be adapted to the screen. And this movie is proving that wrong, really. And I just think this is it's really exciting to, to see these reactions and, and to see the the great reviews that Margot is getting, that Ryan is getting, but also to see what Greta Gerwig is is doing with this film and seeing all the great reviews and rave reviews that she is getting and the rave responses that she's been receiving for this movie. And it all seems to really kind of be paying off. And so I'm really excited for this film. It leads to me a lot to question of what the box office for this film is going to be. And it seems like just every single week there's a report for it. The, 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 the projections keep going up and up and up and up now it's at around 93 million dollars reportedly in its projections and i was telling my friends earlier i think this film could very well hit double digits at the box office in terms of its opening weekend i do think 100 million dollars isn't isn't ridiculous i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that that this film could potentially do that and i think it would be amazing for wonder brothers i think it would be amazing for barbie that even though this is based off of a property in a mattel toy figure it still seems like something new and original and creative and awesome and we need movies like that right now and i think to have a movie like this coming off of the heels of films like the flash and indiana jones and transformers and some of these others that are big 200 plus million dollars and this one was able to maybe crack a hundred million dollars before marketing and i'm sure the marketing budget for this one is going to be pretty big and it's going to really up upcharge the, the the budget for this movie but still it wasn't like it was 200 million dollars before marketing this had a reasonable budget in front of it and it seems like they were able to make the most of it and it just seems like it's amazing and i'm excited to see this one alongside oppenheimer and and it's just that weekend is going to be amazing. Bar- Barbenheimer is legit. It's a thing. I love it. And it seems like if if Oppenheimer is able to have the rave reviews that I hope it has, then July 21st weekend is going to be one for the ages. But what do you guys think about these reviews for Barbie? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final bit of movie news that I want to talk about on the podcast before moving on to the weekend preview is to talk about a little tiny trailer that came out earlier this week. And that was for the epic saga film that is coming out on Apple TV Plus this fall. And that is for the brand new Ridley Scott film, Napoleon, which stars the one and only Joaquin Phoenix, who reunites with Ridley Scott years and years later after doing a little, little known film called Gladiator. Also stars Vanessa Kirby. And this is basically the telling of the rise of the one and only Napoleon. If you know your history, world history specifically, you know that Napoleon was one of the more notorious, all awe-inspiring figures to come out of history period. He was somebody who became an emperor of France. He became someone who was a, a, a genius war tactician. And it showcases in, in, in every single bit of the trailer that you see 
as this film, when you think of a film like Napoleon and you hear Ridley Scott doing it and you see Joaquin Phoenix, you know this film is probably going to be in pretty good hands. And when you see the trailer, it just eases your mind that, yeah, Ridley Scott still got it and he can perform films on pretty epic levels. And as the film is just sheer in mass and scale, the battle scenes look just absolutely brutal and intense. And to me, kind of like with Killers of the Flower Moon, the big thing about this one is that because of the new deals and that Apple TV Plus is doing, this one is going to be released by Columbia Pictures and will be debuting in theaters on November 22nd. And specifically, it's going to be in IMAX theaters. It's going to be playing on some of the biggest screens possible. And when seeing this trailer, I can think of no other way to watch this film than on the biggest screen, not just on my laptop or on on my TV screen. This needs to be seen on a legitimate theater screen with surround sound pumping the score of this one as these awesome sequences play out. So I'm really excited about it. I think this one could very well be a festival contender and be a true legitimate awards contender. I mean, I could see production design. I could see potential director, actor, actress. Vanessa Kirby looks awesome in this picture. I could really see this one doing a good, good extensive nomination count for itself come nomination time next January. But it looks awesome. It's coming out November 22nd right on Thanksgiving. Day weekend, and I'm excited for this one. This one looks awesome and in a really great first impression with its trailer. What did you guys think about the Napoleon trailer? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today, and I know this is a little bit earlier than I usually do it, but the reason for it is because the film that I will be previewing on the weekend preview this weekend is one of the most anticipated films of the year, of the summer, and that of course is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 as it is will be hitting theaters technically on Wednesday, July 12th, so tomorrow really, but tonight, right now, this evening, on Tuesday, July 11th, this film will be playing its preview screenings for everyone to finally see, and this is one that has been anticipated for a long, long time, coming off of the big numbers and the big film that Mission Impossible Fallout was back in 2018, the highest grossing film of Tom Cruise's career, before a little-known film called Top Gun Maverick took the, the, well, the world by storm, and it became became the highest grossing film in Tom Cruise's career. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this film plays out coming off the heels of that movie in 2022. Right now, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes with 158 critic reviews in. It is the highest rated Mission Impossible film on the site. Number two, speaking of, is Mission Impossible 6 Fallout. And so for this film, it just everything seems to just kind of be lining up for it. The previous looked incredible. You see just the insane action stunts and sequences that Tom Cruise is doing. And you just, it's just, it's still just, you wrap your head around it. You're like, how is this guy doing what he's doing and still around in this day and age? And he's still doing it at Tom Cruise's age. It's just absolutely insane to, for me to think about. And so I just think the big question for this one moving forward, especially coming to the summer season and for me, this was kind of a question. This this is one that my other two kind of let me down. Little Mermaid doesn't seem to be like it's going to gross a billion dollars. Indiana Jones clearly doesn't seem like it's going to be grossing a billion dollars. But those were kind of my two and three. Mission Impossible was always a film I thought was going to be at least a billion dollar hit at the box office. Combined with the popularity of this franchise, combined with the popularity of Tom Cruise, combined with I think the wave that can still be brought over with, with Top Gun Maverick and knowing that when you see 
see a Tom Cruise movie right now, it's bringing the cinematic experience to the biggest heights possible. And it seems like, again, in the previews, he's doing just that, whether it's flying off of a motorcycle on the very first day of shooting. I remember seeing pictures of that in September of 2020 when the pandemic was at its height. And we're at this point right now where you see him jumping off of trains, fighting on trains, driving through the streets of Rome in, in, in a little mini car with Haley Atwell. And it just looks like it could do big, big bucks at the box office. And I think it could legitimately hit over a billion dollars at the box office. So that's the big film coming out this weekend. The one that I recommend everyone go out and check as soon as they possibly can. This is going to be one of the biggest films of the summer. It's going to be one of the biggest films, I think, of 2023 overall as well, just like Top Gun Maverick was last year for 2022. So what do you guys think about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Are you going to go see it this weekend? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And with that, down and out of the way that will do it for this edition of the sam Bissell podcast once again everyone thank you so much for tuning in be sure to check out my channel for more content you can check me out on spotify apple podcast stitcher radio public soundcloud and much more also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis also make sure to check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations return investment and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services also make sure to check out the daily grind a weekly motivational podcast with kelly johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals also along the way make sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here such as russell attic radio fretzel mania podcast and midnight showing you can check these out and so much more on the website ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com also on facebook and twitter at real ambiguous and if you want to check out Kennedy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Pissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Vassell. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.